sort of kind of used to now having an interpreter, so maybe I still need one. I want to talk about Mary. I want to spend some time thinking about Mary and just what the meaning of this whole Christmas season is about on a very human level. You know, think about what you would do. How would you communicate with somebody who was in rebellion? How would you communicate uh, with people who didn't want to listen to you, who had gone adrift a long time ago? What would you do? It might be, in a, you know, the obvious one is a teenager and a parent, but it's a husband and a wife. It's, it's so many different relational ones where things go south and, and it's uh, not what it used to be. How would you communicate? How, how would, if you were God, how would you communicate with a world that actually said, we have no God but us? And one of the, uh, the things that human beings have done throughout history is that despite their rebellion, despite their insistence that life is their own, there's always this thing inside human beings that says, but I have to have meaning. And so human beings, whether they believe in God or not, pursue meaning, meaning and recognition, purpose and recognition. They always do. People who go into depression and despair and to addiction are, are, are running away um, from any hope of that being a reality for them. They've given up. I'm not speaking accusingly. I'm speaking diagnostically. They've given up because people without hope die. You, there are lots of psychological studies to show that. People without hope do not flourish. People without purpose uh, tend to drift and tend to go off into despair. It's just what human beings do because we bear the image of God in us, whether we like it or not. God is our DNA. And so that's why you can, you know, I, I was in England two weeks ago and uh, I don't think she'll listen to this, so I'll say it. But um, I, I went to a little, happened to be in London at the same time. I have a stepsister and, and a, her husband who live there and my sister lives there. And uh, they have four children. They're all adults. They're the same age as my children. So Carmen was there with me, and we went to one of their children's. They were doing a little art exhibition in, a, in, in one of the homes, and so we went to this art exhibition. And then there's this, my other niece, uh, who's 28 but looks about 15, and she's sort of my kindred spirit. She's a little rebel, and I've always loved her because she hasn't fitted in, and she's gone through some real battles. She's a top designer in London. And you look at her and go, you, you look like a schoolgirl. But she's actually working for one of the top designers in London, doing very well. And I had only spoken to her for a very short time. And I, and she, and I said, how's it going? And she said, you know, I, I, I've got everything I want. I'm at the top of my profession and it's still not enough. And I didn't want to say to her, Joe, 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 let me tell you why. I just said, you know, you grow into your dream and then you have another one. And she was gracious enough to say, we've only been together five minutes and you really helped me. But, uh, it's just this thing of people chase their dreams and they trace meaning, but as soon as you get to the closeness of that, it begins to fade. And you go, I still am not satisfied. It's because there is a spirit in us that only God's love will, will fulfill. Everything else is about how can I get recognition from the outside, and you know as well as I do that that is tiring. And it also doesn't work because it makes you dependent on people and their opinions of you, and those are as fickle as the weather. So somewhere along the line, I have to find this thing inside me that says, who am I? And this whole message of Christmas is about, you see, you go to India, we went to some of these, these temples and some of these places, and they're beautifully, I mean, the carvings are incredible. They've been there for thousands of years. But human beings who don't know a living God create gods. 
They create gods to appease that thing in them that says we need to worship something. And they go into what is actually demonically driven, uh, which is the spirit of Santa Claus. I'm very serious. Santa Claus is demonic. I'm talking about the spirit behind it. It's, the, it's, it's what you replace Jesus with. Somebody who will give me gifts, make me feel good, and that's it. If you wear Santa Claus hats, let me just mess you around. If you wear a Santa Claus hat, you might as well put on horns. I'm going to stir it up in our culture. You might as well, you might as well put on horns and say, uh, to hell with Jesus. Santa Claus is not innocence. It's the hallmark of a godless culture. I wasn't planning to say that. I know I upset you, but that's okay. You know, I upset the, the Indian, the Indian population, the, the pastors. I said, you know, if I, was a, if I was in this culture and I was talking really gently, believe it or not, um, one of the things that, that curses them in their whole culture is this thing of paying dowries for, for girls, for wives. And from the age a girl is born, the parents start saving because the minimum is $2,000. It goes up to half a million to a million, depending. It is an absolute curse. Girls are aborted in India because they're girls. The third girl has no identity. That is part of Hindu reincarnation, by the way. It is a curse on the culture. A fatalism that gives people no hope so they don't bother. Nothing doesn't matter. Santa Claus is, is, is I realize, it's like the Easter Bunny, is, is just playful. But the, the warfare in North America is through playful stuff. You see, one of the ways of doing warfare is distraction. So if I can distract you with this, you won't pay attention to that. So for me personally, I mean, the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus are just so lame. It's just so nothing. It's nothing. And I don't apologize for wanting to burn them and kick them in the rear and say, get out of here, you know. I mean, it's got no place. And as I've said many times, they do not turn up at your sickbed. And they do not turn up when things are wrong. So I'm campaigning for Jesus being the Lord and Savior, period. And Christmas is about that. Christmas is about the God who came into this world and we were totally disinterested. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody who doesn't want to talk to you? I do it every week. <laughs> Have you... Have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't want to talk to you and what you have for them is good and they can't hear you? It's hard. It's painful. And it's easy to go, I'm done with you. Give me a call when you want to talk. And that's sometimes what we need to do. But God didn't do that. God actually totally gets how we have been entrapped and imprisoned. By the way, if you're going to the, the movie Exodus, sort of walk out halfway through. That was really disappointing. What was cool in the, the, the film on Exodus was the first part when it describes Moses in Egypt. But they just play such liberty with the story that it's quite disappointing because none of the glory and power of God comes through. Just a little side note, which saddens me because I think it's such a powerful medium. But we're talking about Mary and, Je Je and God and Jesus, so we get a bit back to our theme here, which is how would you talk to people? How do you talk to people who don't want to hear? One of the ways you, you, you talk to them what do you think the way is? Sorry? Tell a story. What happens if they don't even want to hear a story? I remember, in a, in a, I've told you this before, when I was training in England, going to a, a, a detention center for first offenders, and these boys were 10, 12, 13 years old, and I started talking about God's love, and, and it was a joke. I mean, I, it was really awkward, because love is sex. God loves you like a father. Well, my father's an alcoholic. There's no reference points. 
So all the words that come out of my mouth might be very wonderful, but they're meaningless in that, in that situation. And the people that, that uh, Jesus was born among, they had been totally conditioned to religious numbness. The hierarchy of the religious churches, the religious leadership, had dumbed them into suppression under a system that was crushing. God wants you to do this. God wants you to do that. Give this sacrifice. Give this money. Come up here for this. Do this. They were hand in hand in bed with the Romans. And they were you're like, don't talk to me about God. Because all I get is raped and pillaged, either by the Romans or by the Pharisees. But one, one or the other, they do. As far as I'm concerned, God is just one cruel taskmaster. Lots of people in this world think that. So what difference do you make to the boy in the borstal or somebody who's struggling? I think the only thing you can do is earn the right to talk. And the most humble thing that anybody can do who doesn't need to do it because they have the power to kill you is to actually come among you in disguise and live among you for a while until you are able to listen and they are able to be heard. It is the most supreme act of love for a God who could annihilate us or just say, you live on your own. You, do, you chose it, you do it. I gave you every gift. I gave you every opportunity. I gave you the book. I gave you all kinds of chances. Read the Old Testament. I am done with you. If you want to be kings and you want to run the world, run the world. But do not come to me and say, why do we have wars? Why do we have terrorism? Why do people blow themselves up? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? They do that because it's all about power, greed, and people who want to be kings. If you want to find the answer to the troubles in the world, look in the mirror. Don't look upward to God and say, why do you allow it? This is getting heavy for Christmas, isn't it? I mean, I wasn't meaning to go into such a black place. But you know what? If we don't know the blackness, the light won't shine. I can talk my way out of anything. <laughs> but it's true. Until we recognize our need for a savior, I, I nearly drowned off the African coast. And when, when you're drowning and there's no hope, that surfboard, I don't care what color it is, I don't care who's riding it, thank you for coming. I was drowning, now I'm rescued. And some of you are sitting here going, I don't experience God. God doesn't seem to be real. So let's talk about Mary. Let's go and visit Mary. See, the thing, if, if, you, fall, if you fall asleep right now, just somebody next to you wake you up. But the difference between God revealed in Jesus and every other God is this one speaks. He takes initiative. He does things. He's not insecure, so he doesn't really care what you think of him on one level. But the one thing he is, is passionately in love with you. I was listening to Paul Manwaring from Bethel the other day, and he was recounting the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, we know the story well. The father runs out to meet the son. And he said there's a, there's a, a tradition called, uh, what is it called? I don't think I've got it right, but it's, 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 you won't know. Chanza, it's called Chanza. It might not be called that, but it's something like that. And it was the tradition of if you've been shamed in the village, and I keep on putting in these side clauses because they just happen to be here today, which is, you know, I, the village life in Kotapali in India was such a cool experience of what I think it must have felt like to live in a biblical village. Like everybody knows everybody. There's this kind of integration. People walk into your house. I'm doing my blog and somebody walks in and stares at, stares at me and then walks out again. And the, It's just nothing is private unless you lock the door. And so the, there's... In the prodigal son's story, everybody would have known that this son had shamed his father and gone off and done his thing. You know, wild women and all the rest of it. I mean, because behind every trouble there's a woman, right? You know that. Well, that will wake you up anyway. I mean, you know, just 
And behind every woman there's a man. So we're all sort of dealt, we're, we're all in this. And, and when, if you try to come back home, you're coming back into the village. The villagers would come out with pots and they would smash them at your feet and shame you because you have, actually, you, you have done something to somebody in the village. And one of the reasons he said maybe the father ran out was he ran out to the son as he saw him coming home because he wanted to get there before the villagers with the pots. God's love is so passionate for you and for me that he actually doesn't just take initiative. He does some enormous things to try and get our attention and say, I meet you before you know me. I forgive you before you even confess. I love you. And you're going to have to deal with that because it's not performance driven. Do you understand that? It's not performance driven. God has come into this world and he said, I couldn't care less about your performance. My love is the same for you, whatever you've done. Now, of course, I care about your performance, but it's not a condition of my love for you. And everybody in the world is looking for love. It's a cliche. But the message of Christmas is God comes. So, where does Mary fit in? She does. Mary's engaged to be married. We've talked about this often. I love this story. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. They've got all the wedding plans which could take a year or two because the guy's got to go off and he's got to do a whole lot of stuff and that's why there's a parable about you know, bride, the bride needs to be ready for the bridegroom because she doesn't know when he's going to come because he might have his act together in six months or it might be a year and a half. She doesn't really know. She's about 15 years old probably. And one night this angel appears to her and what does he say to her? He says, well, God sent this an angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, Gabriel is the big man and he's the big angel. He's not the little one. He's the big one. Like you get angel, Gabriel knocking on your door's business. You are terrified. You just see Gabriel there and you shake. And that's what Mary did. We think sometimes God just goes, there, 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 there. Not always. He sends Gabriel. And Gabriel says to a shaking Mary... Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The first thing he says is, you are highly favored. And Mary goes, why me? One of the great sins in the church has been St. Mary, St. Paul, St. John. No, St. John might not be, but the saints, you know, others might be. The, uh, the sainthood of these people who follow Jesus. All Christians, all people who say yes to Jesus become saints. Mary was not really a saint until the 12th or 13th century. It followed not the Spirit of God, but the traditions of the time. Mary became this mother saint when, through the Romantic movement when the women were beginning to be in towers and rescued by knights and shining arbor. That's when it came into the church. It's highly interesting that Mary becomes this figure of almost worship in a church that speaks about celibacy. I think there's just all kinds of interesting little possibilities. All I'm trying to say is it's our human construction, not, I don't think, the Spirit of God. And, if, and so this whole practice that has happened all over the world, which is no, we're going to pray to the saints, we're going to pray to Mary, we're going to, is rubbish. Why would they be bothered with you? Jesus is the one. And you want a proof text for that? The first, first miracle Jesus did, marriage in Cana. People went to Mary, we've run out of wine. She sends them to Jesus and says, do what he tells you. Jesus tries to talk his way out of it, but his mother says, you just do what you're told. That's the, only time, the first and last time anybody goes to Mary. You go to Jesus. So Mary is terrified. Why me? It's, it struck me because I think like this. I, I haven't thought, but I, I, I thought like this this time. 
Like what if, <laughs> what if Mary was about the fourth woman that Gabriel had gone to? What if he had gone to Susan? And Susan said, no, my parents will kill me. And then he went to Judy and she said, no, uh, you know, Bill, he will have a, no, we will not even get married. No, 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 no. I'm just making up names. Don't take this personally. Um, what a, because he was coming to this girl in the, the most important moment of her life and he addressed her and said, you are highly favored. And she's trembling because she's afraid and she goes, I'm just an ordinary girl. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Just quickly through that. I would say if I was Gabriel, good news, bad news, good news, you're highly favored. Bad news, your life is going to change forever and you're going to have some really tough times. You're going to be pregnant with this kid He's going to grow up. He's going to actually cause a lot of strife. You're going to, this, this kid who you're going to love with all your heart is going to be crucified and killed by 30. And you're going to be traumatized by that. But you're highly favored by God and He loves you and He adores you. He didn't start with that. Why doesn't He start with that? It's the reason why people aren't attracted to Christianity when you talk to them about their sin. We tend to project onto people our issues. You know that, don't you? We tend to be negative when we have no good news in us. So we go into the legalism. You go into legalism when you don't have love. You go into legalism and telling people what to do when you don't have any love and good news in your own heart. So you just spill out your own garbage and you say, now I'm being persecuted. You should. You should be killed. Stop messing around with people. Goodness me, I'm going all over the place this morning. It's been a while, so I don't have an interpreter to make me sound good. Um, Because what the angel says to Gabriel is, Gabriel says to Mary is, He calls up all the power of God and the positive of God. He says, this child is going to reign forever. This child is going to be great. This child is going to be... Why doesn't he tell her all the negative? Because she's not ready to hear it. It's not because he doesn't love her and it's not because he's deceiving her. It's just she can't bear it. You don't, I hope, pick up your child when they're six months old and say, you have no idea what this life's going to be like. I would hate to be you right now. Um, you know, I'm going to prepare you for everything. I'll smack you around so you learn how to deal with pain. We call that abuse. If we actually take suffering to people before they can bear it, if we have any control over it, we traumatize them. If you actually build people up, when suffering comes, they learn how to take it. That's why sometimes we've got to stop protecting each other from hard things. You've got to build some muscles so that you know you are highly favored, says the Lord. If you don't remember anything this morning, that is the word of the Lord for you for this Christmas. You are highly favored. What does that mean? He means I absolutely love you and I really don't care what your opinion is about that. He says you are mine. I love you. I adore you. I think you're really special. And you can come and you can mouth off at me about how I haven't heard your prayers and I'll talk to you about that. Mary cries out and says, like, this is overwhelming. So she doesn't say it like that. She just says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. This is impossible. And the angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and the, over, the Holy Spirit will conceive this child in you. The Holy, the, the, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled, to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. That is amazing. Think about this. When, I, you know, when, when God created, he created Adam, and then he had second thoughts, and thought, I better do Eve. And he takes Eve out of a rib of Adam, and he puts Adam to sleep so he doesn't get advice. And he creates Eve out of the rib of a man. When the second Adam is born, he's born out of the womb of a woman. Because God is represented in male and female equally. And what you have in this encounter with Mary is, I believe, the way God works with us. Firstly, He wants a revelation of Himself. That's why He was born as a baby. That's why we have carol services. But He's not a baby. He's much more than that. Don't let Him be a baby for you now, for God's sake. This is about understanding how at a moment in history God did something incredible, unbelievable, beyond our imagination in order that we would have and hear a conversation from Him, in order that He could take away the obstacles that were getting in the way, in order that Jesus would rise from the dead after we had killed Him in all our ignorance, anger and innocence and He would say, God has not given up even though you have crucified me. I have taken away the sin, the penalty for your action. I have done that. You cannot be performance-driven with me. I have dealt with that. If you want to know what God feels about suffering in the world, I came and I suffered and I bore that grief upon myself. Everybody who ever sins or rebels has this feeling in them of how do I atone for it? How do I get forgiven? Some people spend their whole lives living out of unforgiveness and shame. And God comes and says, Jesus has taken your shame. It's the most wonderful thing to declare over people. Why don't you give God your shame? Why don't you give Him your guilt? He'll never forgive me. He already has. Well, I don't believe it. Well, that's why He's not made in your image. Because you're not as nice or as powerful. But He is. And He is able. So there is nothing in us that cannot be forgiven. And when Jesus rose, what did He do? He breathed the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy, wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when they were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came upon them. What was that? It's exactly the same thing as what happened with Mary. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and will conceive in you something that you cannot conceive yourself. That every single one of us continually come before God or one another and say, but I can't, I'm only this, I'm only that, I'm only this, I'm only that. And God says, I'm so tired of hearing that. I know. That's why I send you power. It's like a car saying, we can't move. Why can't you move? We have no gas. And then you pour the gas and now you can move. So this God is not somebody stuck somewhere. He's the one who engages us. He talks to us. He encourages us. He encounters us. And so, as with Mary, he he knocks on the door. God comes to us this morning and he says to us, you who are highly favored, I am here to conceive and to work out in you things that you cannot imagine. And I'd like a response from you. Now, this happens many, many, many times. If you want to walk with God and you want to start growing with God in real time, just follow the example of Mary. And then you go, well, I said yes to Jesus and nothing's changed. I don't know a lot about pregnancy, but I know the next morning it's not necessarily any different. But I'm not going to go very far along that one. All I'm saying is it takes a while. From conception to birth is nine months. It's a good measure of 
God doing things in us and through us. We're so impatient. So what do you do when you're carrying the baby? You try and look after the body. You try and look after what you take in. You try and nurture what you're carrying in faith that it will be released. The same is true spiritually. You have to nurture it. You have to feed it. You have to hold it. You have to believe for it. What happens with Mary? God is incredibly kind. I, you know, as a, another thought I was having was, I wonder what Jesus looked like. I wonder if he looked like Joseph. Because they would really mess people up. I, I do think he did. I think you could see Joseph in Jesus. Because I think if I, if I was God, and God is nicer than me, I, I'm, I'm blessing Mary, but Joseph has had to endure this phone call or email or, or Facebook, no, hey, Joe, I'm pregnant and it's not you. It's God. Oh, shoot. I mean, what would you do? It's not easy. And Joseph, in the end, goes, yes. You see, Mary, so I think God would bless Joseph by, say, but by having Jesus born and he would have Joseph's coloring or Joseph's eyes or something, a feature of Joseph, where he's letting Joseph know, I'm God, but you're the heavenly Father, and on this earth you can have some of the image because I just bless you, I love you. I just think he does stuff like that because he's nice and he's sensitive and he's kind and he thinks of everything. But what does he do with Mary? Mary does not say, Gabe, hold it a minute, I just got to call Joseph and if he agrees, I'll say yes. There are some decisions in your life that you need to make and you need to make them before God whether your husband or wife likes it or not. There are far too many people who are held up by God because they're waiting for husbands and wives to get their act together. I promise you that God cares more about your spouse or your children than you do. And that is one big excuse sometimes. You go, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to deal with some conflict somewhere. But you can either have conflict that sits under the surface and and just simmers and stinks out the house for years, or you can actually, there's a gentle way of being able to make stands on things. It's just the way it is. And Mary, convicted by God, said yes to him. And oh my word, what is, we could sing that chorus to, oh my word, what will I do now, Lord? Oh my word, we could have put that into the Boney M song. What do you do now? What Mary does is she goes, I have no idea how I'm going to get pregnant. I have no idea how I'm going to get married. I have no idea if I'm going to get married. And I have no idea if Joseph will be here tomorrow. But the angel said, I'm highly favored. The angel said, I'm deeply loved. The angel said, God's spirit is overshadowing me. So I'm going to trust him with him. And it's not long after the turmoil that Joseph goes through of hearing this and going, what do I do with this? But I know Mary, she's not that, all that stuff, that God appears to Joseph in a way that Joseph can hear. And he assures Joseph that what Mary's doing is not a sleight of hand, smoke and mirrors. It's the real deal. And Joseph is ministered to in such a way that he can say yes. You see, God loves you and those around you more than you do. But you're not going to see the parting of the Red Sea if you never put your foot in it. It's called walking by faith. You can't, some of us just have too many plan Bs and too many issues that we're trying to work out. Lose control. Yield control. Start saying, I want to say yes to you. Out of that, everything else will flow. Sometimes they're hard decisions, sometimes they're good decisions. What else does God do for Mary? Mary has a a cousin, Elizabeth. She's older. And Elizabeth is six months pregnant. God will always place in your realm of influence 
somebody or some people to encourage you and help you along the journey that he's calling you to do, to travel. He never calls you to travel alone. If you travel alone, it's because you're dysfunctional. It's not because he's calling you to it. If you choose to travel privately and in your own system, it's not God, I promise you. I have counseled lots and lots of people over the last 30, 40 years and lived it myself. Isolation is a form of our sickness. It is never a gift from God. Isolation is a form of escape and denial and fear. It is never anything God calls us into. God calls us into relationship because it's in relationship that he actually releases his power and his presence and his healing. So Mary was brought, was spoken to, and then she said yes, and then she was able to walk alongside Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I mean, they both had miracles, and they were both wondering what this was. Elizabeth also didn't hear, your son is going to live a weird life. He's going to be dressed in weird clothes, live in the wilderness. You're going to say, is that my boy? And he's going to apparently announce the coming of the king. And he's going to have his head chopped off as a reward. I wouldn't try and work out how things are going to work out. I would just actually let God start where I am. Because you know what? He fills you to the place where you're able to take the next step. So this Christmas, what do you think God is saying to you? You know, we have asked before, you know, what do you want from God, which is the kind of Father Christmas question. It's a legitimate one. But I think today is a time to, to stand before God and say, like, what do you want to birth in me today that would seem unimaginable? What would it be that you would want to have the Holy Spirit impart to me today that in nine months I would look back and go, I would never have believed this. That's God's offer to you today. It's kind of the clue is, where is your barrenness? Or where is your brokenness? Or where is your hopelessness? And God comes into that just like he comes to Mary. He says, you are highly favored. Now if you will actually allow me to find a home in you in a new way. And you will realize that nothing but my spirit and power can do this. We could see something wonderful take place. That's the offer. It's not a baby Jesus. It's the risen Lord Jesus with a great deal of power. He just says the evidence for why you can trust me is my birth, life, death and resurrection. Let's stand up. And really all we're giving God time for right now is... Uh, Father, I just pray by your Spirit uh, that you show us, if you haven't already, what you're saying to us because you're a God of initiating. So God's initiating with you right now. See, he came to earth and he, he said, I'm looking for somebody willing to let me work in them and through them. And Mary was just the first of a way he was going to work for the rest of eternity, the rest of life on earth anyway. So he comes to you and he says, I have made you and you have a purpose in my great plan that only you can actually fulfill. Will you allow me to release the next thing in you? And it might mean that you have some discomfort and that it might mean that you're going to go through some things, but I want you to start from the place of you are highly favored because what I'm going to give you and what I am giving you is the thing that will actually bring you most alive. And Mary wouldn't understand how pregnancy works beyond uh, the physical act. She wouldn't understand the process of birth, the gestation. She wouldn't understand most of it. And neither will we. But we can say, Jesus, here I am. There's room for you in my heart. 
There's room for you in my spirit. There's room for you. And I give to you all that I can do in my own strength because quite honestly, I frustrate myself. I'm at my wit's end with me. And I ask you to birth in me something that is extraordinary. So that's what I say for me right now. I say, yes, Jesus. I say, yes, Father. Yes, Holy Spirit. I want to be impregnated with your spirit that brings new life in me, through me, to bless others, whatever it takes. And I ask you to show me who is Elizabeth. I ask you to, be, to show me who around me are people that I can actually talk to, work, walk alongside, have them walk alongside me. I want to actually see something real happen in the next nine months. And I want to engage with that journey, not just keep on saying the same thing to you as if you have to do it. Just receive the love of the Lord for you, which is in your heart, not in your head, by the way. And that means you just say, Jesus, I open my heart to you. Even if I don't feel anything, I open my heart to you. I choose as an act of the will to open my heart to you and I invite you to fill it with your presence and your spirit. And Father, I just bless the work of your spirit right now. I bless the uh, creative uh, empowering of your spirit. I, I bless the, the way that you work in us in, in ways we don't even understand or maybe even feel. But I just bless what you want to do in every person here right now. And I call up life in them to nurture. I call up hope in them to believe. I call up joy in them to know that they have been touched and they are favored by the living God. That, that God the Father loves you as much as he loves Mary. So I just bless the work of your Spirit in us today. And as we go through this Christmas season, I pray that we will catch glimpses of you that take us by surprise, but that you supernaturally release your gifts among us, that Jesus will be honored and glorified. Amen?